This is Real Estate Rookie episode 101. We love real estate. It's all, we're always going to be doing that. But for the first season at that campground, we'll definitely be focused on running it, learning everything that we can, getting systems and processes down, you know, just figuring because it's, I feel like it's like 15 businesses in one. I'm Ashley and I'm here with my co-host Tony and it is episode 101 Dalmatian. <laughs> so crazy. We're, we're 101 episodes in. I think uh, when I first came on, we were episode 37. So we've just been yeah. like, boom, 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 knocking them out. Yeah. So uh, this week we are doing a special series on campground and RV parks. I'm super excited for this because this is what I want my next investment to be as a campground. So as you all know, the show is for my benefit. So we're bringing on, uh, we have Kirsten that is coming on today and she is a rookie campground investor. She is experienced buy and hold investor, has flipped houses. But this is her first time going into a campground. So she's going to talk about what she's been learning, how she's going to do an acquisition and even the due diligence period. And then our next episode, we are bringing on Heather Blankenship and Heather is an experienced investor in the RV campground world. So we're going to get a chance to talk to both of them and hear, you know, the from a rookie and then also from an experienced investor on what it's going to be like to purchase and run a campground. Yeah. And Kira dropped a lot of just really good gems in this episode. So obviously, like Ash, Ashley said, she's still in the early phases of her RV park uh, investing, but she talked really, really intelligently about using OPM, other people's money. Um, about the fear of getting started in the world of RV park investing and how she pushed past that, uh, what she looks for in the due diligence period, um, how she plans to finance this, how she plans to manage it. She's got really, really big plans about managing her first RV park, which shows just complete and absolute dedication to kind of getting this thing done. So lots of good gems throughout this entire episode. Yeah. And even if you have no interest in investing in an RV or campground park, a lot of these things she says are really valuable, just even buying any kind of property, things to look at. And then definitely when we go into the financing of you know, getting a private money lender, she gives uh, great points on that too and how to actually find one. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. 
Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Well, let's get into today's show. Kirsten, welcome to the Real Estate Rookie podcast. Super excited to have you with us today. Oh my gosh, I am so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. So you've got a really interesting story and I, I won't spill the beans too much, but we're going to be talking a little bit about RV parks today, which is Ashley's new favorite thing to talk about. And I, I might have some interest in it as well. But before we get into all of that, uh, I guess just give us a little bit about your your backstory. Who are you? You know, How'd you get started in the world of real estate investing? Yeah, well, my name is Kier. I am a real estate investor and I'm actually an agent as well. I kind of grew up around real estate. My parents flipped houses. They own rental properties. So it's kind of, I've always been around it. Always had an interest in it. Always knew it's what I wanted to do. So fast forward to, I met my husband and he owned a remodeling company. So we decided, you know, real estate agent, person that owns a remodeling company, let's marry the two and flip houses. So yeah, now together we own a remodeling company. We've flipped a couple houses. We've used the Burr strategy. We've house hacked. And now we're searching for an RV park, which has actually been on our goal list for five years since the first time we did a cross-country road trip. We just we fell in love with the RV park scene. And we just didn't think it was going to be something that was possible for like 10 to 15 years down the road, because back in 2016, when we first started exploring RV parks, I spoke to several like campground brokers who told us it wasn't possible unless we had 30% of our own money in our own bank accounts, uh, whether we went with bank financing or seller financing, they were just like, it is not possible. So it's kind of like a lot of new investors, how when they want to get into buying holds and flips and all that stuff, I was kind of scared off thinking that we had to have all the own money in our own bank account. So we kind of put the RV parks on the back burner. We continued burring, house hacking, flipping, running the remodeling business. I kept going as a real estate agent. And actually, if I'm being honest, (laughs) I do have to throw in there, we actually explored a whole bunch of other strategies like wholesaling, the rent to own model. We were interested in storage units. What real estate investor hasn't done that? (laughs) Like everybody's done that, right? Everybody's in there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, basically fast forward five years later, I've just learned that it seems like investors don't use their own money. They're all using other people's money. And so I started educating myself on RV parks, talking to people about it. And it kind of just snowballed into us finding a private investor who has a good chunk of a down payment to help us with an RV park. And so now we're seriously searching for RV parks again. Right there for the rookies listening, you brought up a great point as to just because one person tells you you can't do something or this is the only way to do it. There's so many, that's what's great about real estate is there's so many different ways to 
buy real estate or to get creative with the financing or different ways to find money. So listen to what she just said there, because I think right that, that that's gold right there. I was going to say, before we keep going, uh, Kira, because you, you mentioned that you're specifically looking at RV parks, but for, for like a newbie, 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 what is the difference between an RV park, a campground, a mobile home park? Like, are all of these interta- interchangeable terms or, or like, what, what are the differences there? I mean, so when I started researching, I thought they were kind of all the same too, but there is like a, a pretty big difference. Um, like, it seems that RV parks are kind of like a step up from like campgrounds are more like a primitive type thing, you know, where there may not be water, sewer, uh, usually there's electric, but <laughs> water, sewer hookups, RV parks are kind of, you know, they have a little bit more going for them as far as amenities and things like that. And usually, you know, the RV parks and campgrounds are either seasonal or they have like transient people coming through who are just traveling. They stay there for a weekend, a week or something like that. Mobile home parks, I haven't researched them, but to me, they're year round living. People live there permanently. So I kind of think in my mind, that's that's the main difference. And so what is your criteria? So you're an ex- somewhat experienced investor. I mean, you've done buy and holds, you've done flips, and now you're moving on to, to RV parks. And you also have a meetup that you run too. So you are helping a ton of people get started in real estate also. So you know that it's important to have a criteria so that you're not pulling, you know, all these different properties. So where are you starting with these these campgrounds? What are you looking for? And why did you decide on that criteria? Oh, that's such a good question. And when I started... Honestly, I didn't know that there were so many things to think about. You know, there's location, the type of park, what kind of amenities you want, like how I was saying, do you want a primitive or do you want transient or do you want seasonal? So we kind of, at first we started looking at everything because we had no idea what we wanted. So we kind of narrowed it down to first and foremost price because we can... Unless we can get seller financing, we kind of know what we can afford. So we're kind of looking between one and 2.5 million price range. And then secondly, the location is super important for us. Obviously, this is going to be our first RV park. And we do plan on being owner operators. And we actually would prefer to move onto the campground for at least the first season, kind of get a feel for how it works. So the location is important to us. Uh, We would love to stay in Pennsylvania. And we're also exploring the neighboring states, Ashley, New York, (laughs) in your hometown. And we would also consider moving out west. We love Montana, Colorado, South Dakota. So it's kind of the location for us. uh, We have to enjoy, you know, where we're living. In addition to that, the location, you know, it has to, depending, see that it's hard to say because we're kind of not 100% sure if we're going to do like a destination park that has a ton of amenities where people are actually coming to that RV park to enjoy that park or like resort, a resort park. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like exactly a resort park where people just come just to be at that park. Or, um, you know, secondly, do we get a park that is at least surrounded by tourist attractions or state and national parks, like things that are going to bring people to the area. So we're still kind of on the fence about that part of our criteria. The one main thing, the infrastructure, because this is going to be our, our first park, we definitely want to make sure like, you know, the sewer stuff is in good shape and the, the water lines and the electric that just because we're so unfamiliar with it, we don't want to get in over our heads on our first park. I have a question right there before you continue on real quick. 
Is it common for campgrounds to have public water and sewer or are most of them the private well and septic because most of them are remote? Yeah, it's, you know, I I can't 100% answer that, but from what we have been looking at, it seems like it's more rare, yeah, for it to have public sewer, which kind of scares us because, you know, in, t- in our typical investing with like house hacking and burring and flipping, we actually stay away from, from septic. So <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous to get involved with that, but, you know, everyone else is making it work, so... So one one follow up question from from me, Kira. Right, I, I love the the way that you're going as you're you're moving into this. But when, when we talk about single family homes, we know that the revenue is generated from the the rent that your tenants pay on a monthly basis. What are all the different ways that you generate revenue with an RV park? Uh, like, what are the things you're considering when you're looking at potential purchases? Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah, so that's another reason that we love this RV park idea because I feel like there are so many different revenue streams that you could create. One of our dreams, <laughs> I feel like that that does have to be part of, that's another part of our criteria is there has to be expansion possibility because we really would love to at some point, you know, add some more some more sites, maybe bring in tiny homes or purchase other travel trailers or park models and put them on sites and actually rent those out for additional income so that people who don't own their own RVs can come and still enjoy the RV lifestyle or try it out. Maybe they're not sure if they want to do something like purchase an RV. So I think that'd be really cool to do. And I have heard of people who are actually doing that. I actually spoke, I had a Zoom call with somebody last week who is doing just that. So it is working. Um, so that's a, you know, a revenue potential. And then obviously from the uh, seasonal campers, you they pay you for the entire year or the entire season. They stay there for the entire season. And then you have your transient people who either just come in for the weekend, the week, a night. And I guess in addition to that, a lot of the campgrounds that we've been looking at have stores. So one of our things is, you know, as long as it has some kind of a store, you can always add different things to be sold in the store. Like, I don't know, we actually have a, um, we're, we're parked right now at a seasonal campground. Our, that's where our RV is. And I'm like, how cool would it be if like the store sold like little cooking teepees or, um, I don't know, merchandise with the campground's name on it. And it's Some just, you know what I mean? Like I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I guess that those are all of the revenue streams that we're looking for and, you know, that are typical, I guess, of campgrounds. Well, one thing I just want to get some clarification on here. You said that there there are seasonal uh, like attendees. When you said that initially, I, I thought you just meant like, you know, there's a season when travel is really heavy. But what you're saying is that people will actually come and park their RV there for three months at a time. Yeah. So the way it usually works, a lot of the campgrounds that we're, we've been looking at, they're open from, I don't know, ours was like the middle of April till the end of October. And so we paid $3,800 to keep our RV there for that entire time. And so we're considered a seasonal renter. So you're you're not necessarily staying at the RV. It's more so RV storage at that point. Yeah, and then you can go up. You know, we go up a lot of weekends, and it's just Got nice because your your camp your camper's already set up. You don't have to carry it around with you everywhere and tear it up or set it up, tear it down every weekend. It's just it's it's nice. I like I like the seasonal aspect. The campground that I had looked into to buying that I put an offer in on, uh, they had one hundred and. 
60 sites and about 120 of them were seasonal. And so the people would come in this because in Buffalo, there's snow. So you set up in the spring and then you leave in the fall, but they would set them up. And I mean, people had sheds, they had fences, they had like outdoor dining areas that they had decks built. And I mean, if people really made these into really nice areas to spend time because they were going to be there the whole summer, or at least coming to visit on weekends or whatever, but they weren't picking up and moving their trailer from campground to campground. And I remember the owner saying that a lot of the people that were seasonal lived within 30 minutes of the campground and they would come, you know, on weekends or sometimes on weeknights and stay there and then, you know, uh, commute to work from there. So it was very interesting that it wasn't just uh, people coming from far away to, to spend the night. I, I, I know. And two, I've actually, we've talked to a lot of our, you know, seasonal campground neighbors. There are people who have been at our um, campground for 22 years. They have built in ponds and like you said, sheds and fences and yeah. gardens. And it's just, it's, it's actually kind of nice because they're improving the value of, of these parks because they're taking such good care of their sites. And you don't have to check them in, like people in and out as much too. So if you're all seasonal, you check people in one time in the spring and then check them out in the fall or whenever the, the season ends. But Exactly. Can we talk a little bit more about the seasonality? So what happens in the off season? Are you then just like a like storage for other people's RVs or does like the revenue just stop when you get into that off season? So for our, um, you know, the, the ones that we've been looking into, they actually do. Yeah, they allow you to keep it there for the entire year. So, yeah, the season may be from April to October, but you then can keep your your camper there and store it year round. So you don't ever have to move it. I mean, they're, you know, Ashley, I'm sure you've seen there are seasonal campers who literally build decks and like porches onto their camper that I'm like, how are they ever, ever going to leave? <laughs> they're going to have to tear all of that down. And I think that's part of the value of it is that you're getting people that are staying long term. So you have less turnover. But then are you it's probably more of the day rate. So when you do have the day rate where people are coming in and out, you know, maybe spending three days there, spending the weekend or spending a week that you're probably charging a higher daily rate than someone who's there for the season. So there is that trade off. And that's something when you're analyzing these campgrounds, you have to look at what is um, you know, what's going to be your overhead if you are paying employees to check people in and out and make sure that daily price is set to cover all these things and make money. And then the seasonal, make sure that, you know, that's set too, so that you're not, a, you know, even though you might not need as many employees because they're there for the whole season. So I think that's really interesting how you have the option to go those two different rates, um, whether it's the daily or the seasonal. The campground I looked at, they actually had both. So they had, you know, a bunch of the seasonal and then they had the daily rates too. Um, Is that something you're looking into where it could be a mix of both? Yeah, for sure. We definitely, I would prefer more seasonal, but I would still love to have, you know, a lot of amenities that would attract people to stay at the park for the weekend or for a week or two or something like that, or even a month. I definitely am... Not that I'm against all transient, but I just feel like it's a lot of wear and tear too on your campground when you have people in and out all the time driving on the roads. And then I don't know how to put this, but it's almost like the seasonal campers, 
it's, it's almost like their second home. So they're taking care of everything a lot better. When you have the transient people, they don't care about putting hair down your drains and <laughs> you know what I mean? Like flushing things that shouldn't be yeah. flushed. And so it's kind of like, uh, yeah, we're definitely leaning more towards seasonal, but I would love to have like, you know, some sites available for the transient and for the travelers because we do enjoy traveling and I would love to be able to provide that for, for people. So one more one more question for me on like the acquisition side of things. You, you talked about location being important to you in the RV parks that you're looking at, but how are you actually like doing your due diligence, your analysis on these? Like what information do you need from the seller to accurately analyze the property? And then what steps are you taking to determine whether or not something is a good purchase for you? Um, so to be honest, we have only gotten to analyze two campgrounds. They are very, they hold that information like so close to them, to their hearts until they realize how serious you are. So the two that I've gotten, uh, they have like, they've given me packets that say, you know, what, how much the, uh, utilities are like their phone expenses, the employees, um, expenses, their insurance costs. And so like, it's just, it's I love when it's nicely laid out. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do when it comes to you know, a mom and pop seller who doesn't have that all, all prepared for me already. But, you know, I also look into kind of what Ashley and I were just saying, how much, how many uh, seasonal people are there? What's the price that they're paying for seasonal versus how many transients they have? What's their daily rate? What's the occupancy um, for the seasonal versus the transient? There is a lot that I feel like there's a lot more that goes into analyzing um, <laughs> RV parks and campgrounds than it is like a single family or even a small multifamily property. Heather, who we're having on the episode after you, she uh, I had reached out to her originally because she, I want to know, is there like a calculator that you use? You know, on bigger pockets, you have the calculator reports for long-term rentals, you know, wholesaling flips. And I asked her if there was one and she's like, no, this is a totally different animal. There is no set, you know, way to, to analyze a calculator to use to analyze each uh, campground because it's so different. There's so many different revenue streams coming in, so many different things to look at. Real quick, but before we move on to financing, I want to talk, um, ask you your opinion on this. So long-term rentals, buy and hold, and then short-term rentals. Okay, so you have, and I want to compare that kind of to the seasonal people and then to the daily rate people. So on short-term rentals, you're usually getting a higher return, but it is more of an active investment because you're doing those turnovers, you're you know having a more active management would you say that's a, a fair comparison that if you're going at seasonal, it's more of like the, the long-term rental. And then if you're going at the daily rate, it's more of a short-term rental. I love, I have never thought about it like that. I love that. Yes. Like that makes perfect sense in my mind. I think that is a perfect analogy for, for people that are, you know, looking to compare the two. Okay. Yeah. And it's like the passive and active, you know, that you're yes. going to be a little more passive with the seasonal, the long-term, and you're going to be more active. I mean, look at me. I'm traveling all over and Tony's actively managing a short-term rental. <laughs> 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 I'm just kidding, Tony. But I, but I think that brings up a good point too, right? Like deciding between, because people do this in the, in the short-term rental space too, right? Where they offer like longer, month-long or two-month-long uh, two stays, right? 
And for them, they do it because they like the, you get you know more revenue than you would with, with a traditional long-term rental, but it's still less work than if you're turning that property every you know three to five days. We don't allow people to stay at our property for an entire month because for us, typically they want a discount when they do that. And for us, we would rather do the, the work that's required to turn that property because we know that we're going to make even more by that person only staying for three or five days. So, you know, like you said, actually, it kind of depends on on your your personality, depends on, on how much work you want to put into it. But I think the beautiful part of it is, is that you have the option, right? Like you have the choice as the investor to make the decision that's right for you. So if you like the idea of short-term rentals or RV parks, but you don't like the idea of having to check people in and check people out, then just offer 30-day minimum stays, right? And then you kind of get the benefits of having this more higher revenue generating asset class, but with less work than it typically would require. That's a great point, Tony. And that's the best thing about real estate is it's flexible (laughs) and you get to pick and choose (laughs) to build your business around your lifestyle. Now, well, now here's the part of the story where I tell Ashley that I was that buyer from LA that, that bought her RV park in, in Buffalo. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, if you guys are just listening to this episode, didn't hear it before on another one. Uh, I did put an offer in an RV park, and it was down to me and a buyer from LA. And now we know it was Tony. I had my suspicions. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here. So let's go into the financing of it. You had said, mentioned before that you had this limited belief because that one person told you you needed 30% of your own cash. What what are you doing now and what are some different options people can explore if they're looking to purchase? Yeah. So obviously there's the seller financing, which is what we're really going after because... I mean, I haven't done it obviously myself, but I just heard, I've heard from talking to other people that doing the bank financing is a little bit more difficult for RV parks. Um, and so we're really going after the seller financing aspect. And we do have an investor who is, you know, if we're, if we stay within that one to 2.5 million price range, they will be able to do the entire down payment. And then we actually have the funds to be able to, um, you know, for CapEx, big items that we find, such as, you know, if all the roads have to be paved or we have to dump a bunch of money into the swimming pool or something like that. Here, before you go on real quick, can you explain what seller financing is just in case someone doesn't know? Yeah, absolutely. So seller financing is where the owner of the RV park almost acts as the bank. So instead of us going to a bank to get some traditional financing, the RV park owner would offer us the financing and we would pay directly to that RV park owner. And that's usually if they own free and clear, I'm sure, you know, they have no mortgage and stuff, but I'm sure there's ways to do subject to with RV parks, but I feel like that's a whole, a whole nother topic. (laughs) Okay. So how did you find your private money lender? What would be your advice for somebody who wants to to reach out to one? Honestly, it is word of mouth. I feel like that is the answer for so many things, networking and word of mouth. I just started talking to everybody and anybody I could about RV parks. I Anytime I could insert it into a conversation, I would. And I think after a couple months of people just hearing me continually talking about it, someone just reached out and said, I see that you're pretty serious about this. Like, let's have a chat. And 
when we got on the phone, I kind of just, you know, we already had our, our criteria kind of listed out and, you know, we were serious enough to actually, you know, move to a campground and they were kind of like, yeah, I would love, I would love to finance this. And then we sat down and figured out their finances, where their money was coming from. And we're just going to take it from there. How are you able to just pick up and move? Uh, because we always use our primary residences as we're always going to rent them out afterwards until we find our, our dream property. But yeah, because basically we, we plan on renting out for the foreseeable future, any properties that, that we buy. So it's the rental income, the passive rental income that you can rent those out and you guys have the option to, to move anywhere and to, to run the campground and you don't, I mean, if you move out of state, are you going to probably not continue to do real estate anymore in your husband's remodeling business? You'll be focused on the campground? I don't think we'll ever stop. We love flipping. We love burring. We love the buy and holds. We will always do that for sure. The uh, remodeling business is going to be the first thing that we drop <laughs> because <laughs> it is my, you know, my husband does a lot of the work in the field. He's, he's getting tired. Like his body is just getting tired of it. Um, he wants a change. And yeah, so remodeling business will go by the wayside, but we love real estate. It's all, we're always going to be doing that. But for the first, you know, season at that campground, we'll definitely be focused on running it, learning everything that we can, getting systems and processes down, you know, just figuring, cause it's, I feel like it's like 15 businesses in one. So we'll, we'll definitely take that first year to learn and hopefully down the road, be able to, you know, take all that and buy more RV parks and capitalize on on everything that that we're gonna we're going to learn on that first year well congratulations on that not many people have the option to just pick up and move to go you know start their dream business so congratulations yeah. on the success you guys have built with your flips and your rentals to be able to do this yeah and then the beauty of it too is I mean knock on wood you know stuff always will work out but we always have that to fall back on too we can always, I wouldn't want to kick anybody out, but we do have the option to move back to the houses that, that we do have. Or, you know, park it, park your trailer in their, uh, the driveway of where the tent, the tenants of the house and you live in the driveway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get some water sewer hookup out there. <laughs> yeah. Always set. Yeah. Also, you know, if you ever want to move to Shreveport, Louisiana, if things don't work out, I'm selling a house there that you might be interested in. So just hit me up if, if you have any interest, but I want to, I want to go back really quickly here to, uh, to the private money before we keep moving. Yeah. Um, first bigger pockets has uh, a book raising private capital by, by Matt and Liz Faircloth. Great book. We just closed on my partners and I just closed on our first rehab project using private money. And I, I learned a lot about the private money process, just kind of going through that. Obviously, once you find someone, you know, and they, they give you the verbal, yes, you still have to go through like the, the correct legal uh, kind of uh, political or not political, but the legal paperwork side of uh, setting up the private money. And it's going to vary state to state, but I just want to quickly run through what it was like for us in California. But we had to obviously find the person. We had to have our attorney draft up uh, a promissory note. And then we also had them draft up, uh, gosh, I can't remember the, the name of the second document. I want to say it was a deed of trust was a second document. And the promissory note gets held by the private money lender until we pay them back. And then the deed of trust gets uh, filed with, at least for us in California, with the county. And that shows, it states the private money lender is the actual lender, the bank, um, on that transaction. And that gives them the right to foreclose on the property 
if for whatever reason you don't make your payments as agreed upon in the promissory note. And the, the lender then just transfers or wires all the money into escrow or into title, whatever you know state you're in. And then they that's the funds that are used to, to make the transaction. So I don't know, Kier, have you looked into the process? Is it similar in Pennsylvania or, or what, is it, what does it look like for you guys? Yeah, that is almost exactly it. I've looked into it. We obviously haven't done it yet, uh, but I did look into it so that I kind of, I could sound educated when I talked to them on the phone about how their money was protected. So that is... That sounds very similar to how it's going to work for for me. Awesome. Have you put in some offers on some properties and what do those offers look like? How did you present them? Did you sit down with the people? Did you do letter of intents and how did you structure them? So we have not put any offers in. The one campground that we were the most serious about, we took our good old time and I absolutely regret it now. We should have moved a little bit quicker, but you know, we weren't ready. Well, I shouldn't say we weren't ready. We were scared, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so we kind of lost out because we were going to put a letter of intent in first and found out the night before when we were getting it all ready that the campground went under contract. So we have not done anything yet, but I think our first step for that one was going to be a letter of intent first. Kira, what, what, what took you guys so long? Like, was it, was it fear? Was it not knowing what steps to take? Like, what do you feel caused that delay in getting that, that letter of intent out? Oh gosh. I think, I think it was a little bit of everything. It was, you know, analysis paralysis. Like I think too, we didn't even know where to like, once we went under contract or like what comes, we didn't know what, what steps to take. Exactly. We didn't know what comes first. Do you ask for all the financials first? Do you do a letter of intent first? Do you actually just put under contract and then you get all that stuff? We just, we had no idea how the process was even supposed to go. And I think that that kind of held us back. And then, you know, overanalyzing Every little thing we tried to figure out beforehand. It was like, you know, we would look up the property and who owned it and was it in a floodplain and what are the like what are the taxes, which are important obviously, but we kind of just overanalyzed it before we even had a letter of intent out there. So it was just a little bit of like everything. And then obviously fear for sure. We were like, what if we do get this? Like, what are we gonna what are we gonna do? Are we really ready for this? Like, is this is this something that we seriously can do? So a little bit of everything was <laughs> holding us back. I've definitely had that happen to me where I've, you know, been super excited to have a property. And then when it's actually like time to sit down and write that offer and submit it, it, it can be scary. Like, okay, this is getting real now. <laughs> and you almost have like that hesitation, like, okay, yeah, this will be awesome if it gets accepted. But if it doesn't, okay, well then like my fear goes away too. It's like a little, a little mix of that Especially when I did that campground deal, I mean, I actually was way more devastated than I thought it was going to be. But when I first put my offer in, I was like, okay, well, you know, but if it doesn't work out, I just, I, I won't have a ton of work to do the next six months. <laughs> and I, you know, I will have to scramble to do all these things, but um, I definitely still get that fear sometimes, uh, especially since this was like the most. I, I've the most expensive property I ever bought was 143 or $152,000, a six unit. So I went from my highest unit property to be 150,000 to a $1.4 million offer I was putting in. And that scared me. <laughs> I think it's just, you get a, get around that. And now that I know that I missed out, I need to <laughs> jump on it more. <laughs> mm-hmm. But isn't it, but like Ashley, now do you feel more comfortable putting offers in at that higher price point? Yes. Yeah. 
I feel like it, it didn't even get accepted, right? But just the just the action of you doing it now expands your comfort level, which is so cool. Right. And do you feel the same way here? Like now that you've missed out on that one deal, like you are more than ready to to jump on the next ones. Absolutely. It's almost like you learn from your mistakes and you take that lesson with you on on to the next. Still hoping it still says pending, so I'm still hoping maybe something falls through with with that campground. I keep I keep my eye on it, but yes, we we're ready to jump on something if if it's right. So just one one other thought, right? Like I, I just like this is a really important point for rookies to understand that there's so much fear that we build up inside of ourselves around taking action, but once you actually do it that fear almost immediately goes away, right? And you realize that most of it was all in your mind and that you were making it out to be this thing that it really wasn't. Just quick, quick side story. So like we're, we're looking to ramp up our wholesaling business. I've mentioned this in the podcast before. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of research on the best ways to, to get in contact with sellers and cold calling kept coming up as one of the top ways. So I sat down on my computer and I started cold calling last week. But leading up to me sitting down, I just like kept putting it off. I was like, you know, let me work out first. And I was like, oh, let me, you know, let me clean the garage, right? It's like, who wants to clean the garage for fun, right? <laughs> I'm just like doing all of these things to like put off sitting down and making those phone calls. But once I like, once I sat down at my desk, my heart was like pounding out of my chest, right? I'm, you know, I'm like, what are these people going to say to me? I'm going to get cussed out on these crazy things. But once I started making the phone calls, the fear just kind of went away, right? And when I talked to that first person and they were like, don't ever call me again. Stop calling this number. And they hung up on me. And I was like, oh, that, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Right. So just for the rookies that are listening, that fear is there, but don't let it stop you from taking action. Because once you take action, it goes away. Yes. This doesn't apply in all cases, but for that scenario, Tony, when you're on calling that person and you're hearing that, all I can think of is sticks and stones will break your bones and names will never hurt me. I know that th that's <laughs> yeah. not really true anymore these days, but at least for cold yeah. calling, I feel like that's okay. Right. You hang up. I never talk to you again or see you again. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I never even thought about that, right? It's right. like, I'm never going to talk to you yeah, again. Yeah, so, you have to have yeah, thick skin doing it. So say to yourself, yeah. I mean, unless they come up to your house with some sticks and stones, and <laughs> it'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, it's not like they, can, they can't throw those sticks and stones through the phone, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this show is sponsored by airbnb did you know that a long time ago before i ever started my real estate business i turned one of my first primary residences into an airbnb and that's the extra income that i needed from airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job and now i have dozens of airbnbs all over the country I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. 
Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Okay, so we talked a little bit about, you know, acquiring a deal, analyzing it, um, and then the financing of it. So how have you prepared yourself for when that that offer is accepted? What does due diligence, what is that going to look like for you? So I've talked to a lot of people who are actually buying RV parks and campgrounds. And I think it a lot of it depends on if we do bank financing or seller financing. A lot of there's a lot more, I think, that goes into it for due diligence when you're getting bank financing because of what they require. So I really, again, am still aiming for seller financing. I actually am trying to line up a uh, call next week with a mom and pop campground owner who someone brought it to me actually just a couple days ago. And I'm like super excited about it, but we'll see. But so for seller financing and they're interested in seller financing. So I have thought about like this due diligence process and I think for us, you know, I definitely want to make sure that it's, I really don't want to buy in a floodplain. So we want to, you know, do make sure that none of the properties in a floodplain, I want to make sure that the financials are correct, that, you know, they have proof of, of all of that stuff so that, you know, I'm not just taking their word for it, whatever kind of septic sewer, any, all that has to be inspected. I need to make sure that that is in good working order, or at least I have some solid, quotes on what it's going to take to get it fixed. If there's a pool, you know, get that inspected. So a lot of inspections (laughs) and obviously going out to visit the property uh, is definitely, you know, a big part of the due diligence as well. Maybe even spending a couple days there and just checking it all out, seeing, you know, how the whole process works. Are you part of the ARVC organization? No, American, uh, it's ARVC. I don't even remember what it stands for. American RV 
corporate community. I don't know. (laughs) But it's like a RV campground uh, organization. And uh, they have like a do if I think it's $100 you pay to be a member for a year if you're, you know, wanting to learn to invest in one. And they have like a due diligence checklist. And they have all these different worksheets and different things that you can look at. Um, I think it would be super cool to for you to look at. I think you would really like it and enjoy it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly what I need because, you know, we haven't done due diligence yet, but from what I've been speaking with other people, those are kind of the important things. And just there's so many different things to look at too in a campground. Just like we talked about the different revenue streams, there's so many things to um, make sure that you're underwriting correctly. Right, right, exactly. I also love, uh, Q, that you called out to not buy in a flood zone. So that property that I I was trying to sell you earlier in Shreveport, Louisiana, it's in a flood zone. And that's what's made it such a rough deal for us. We we underwrote it initially with the flood insurance in place, but we didn't realize that flood insurance can change pretty dramatically from year to year. And our premiums went way up this past year. And now we're we're losing money on that deal. So I'm glad you kind of have that foresight. That way you don't have to use your platform as a bigger pocket toast to try and sell this investment property (laughs) that no one wants to buy from you. (laughs) You know what? Maybe you need to to offer some kind of meetup there so that you're like, I'll coach you for a year. (laughs) (laughs) Make it a package deal. Well, now you just solidified why we're not going to buy in a flood zone. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I will say on the other side of it that I have a property in a flood zone and it does fine with the flood insurance. So it's not always um, an awful thing. It can still make the numbers work. Just make sure you know ahead of time what the rate is going to be on the insurance policy. And then, Tony, you said yours increased, right? So Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. talk to your insurance agent and see you know, what is the likely event of that increasing and what would it increase to? Yeah. So Kira, I know you mentioned that you and your husband are kind of like a a dynamic duo, but as you go into, you know, eventually operating this park, you guys plan to live there, kind of be on site. Have you talked through how you plan to divvy up the responsibilities of actually managing the property? Uh, We have. Um, So my husband is, you know, the one that wants to be out there almost being the maintenance guy at first, like learning what it takes to maintain the property. I am going to act more as like the manager and, you know, getting the business and the processes and systems in place. And we do, we have talked about, you know, depending on the size of the park, you definitely think that we're going to have to hire one or two employees who are going to do the check-ins and stuff like that so that I can focus on the marketing, the advertising and the behind the scenes, like business, businessy stuff. Awesome. And then I guess one one more follow up to that as well, right? You talked about like check-ins and managing that process. How do you all plan to market the RV park once you purchase it? Like, is your plan to uh, like have some kind of direct booking website where people can find it and, you know, book directly with Kier? Or is there like an Airbnb for RV parks that that you plan to market it on? Actually, both. Um, I definitely want to use, I forget what it's, maybe Ashley, do you know what it is? I know that there's something like Airbnb, but for campgrounds, uh, like outdoor ski, like Maybe. where you're just outdoorsy. doing the RV. Oh, yeah, outdoorsy, outdoor ski. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's definitely what we want to do. But then I definitely, you know, I have looked into like programs that people will be able to go to our web. Uh, if there is a website, we'll definitely create one. Um, but go to our website and be able to book 
for themselves um, through, you know, directly through our system. So kind of a combination of the both of, of the two. Tony, this will be a great question for us to ask Heather on uh, the next episode. Yeah, totally. I can't wait to hear her answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to move into our mindset seg- segment. And we actually, I feel like our when we talked about fear and putting in big offers, we kind of did touch on this. But here, what is something that you had, um, you believed was true about real estate and then it ended up not being false or it ended up being false. Something that you have changed your mind on and you've really changed your mindset and it's helped you propel into the investor you are today. Oh, that's a really good question. I think it's kind of what we touched on earlier about needing to have all of your own money. And, you know, that's just, that's absolutely not the case. And I also always thought that you had to buy everything in cash. Like if you didn't have the cash to buy it and this wasn't even, you know, I've never even heard of Dave Ramsey until a couple years ago. So like this wasn't even brought on by him, but I always thought you needed cash to buy every single thing. And that is just not the case. I've learned that, you know, your first property can snowball into your second property because our Well, our first, I should say our second property uh, was a house hack. And we kind of used a HELOC on that to then go and purchase our duplex. And then it just, I don't know, it just kind of all like snowballs. So I guess I didn't really realize that you don't have to have a W-2 and save up all of the money that you need to purchase an investment property. Like that's just not the case. You can creative financing is out there too. I just started learning about creative financing a couple months ago. And that's a whole nother... I feel like that's a whole nother ball game to get involved with. So I, there's just, my mindset has definitely been changed on the financing, I guess, of real estate. And do you think that you got to the point where maybe you were stuck that you weren't going after RV parks because you didn't, you know, you didn't have a million dollars or whatever amount to purchase it in cash. And I think it's really important to show that instead of giving up, you went out and you researched, you talked to other investors in this mar- in this um, strategy and you found other answers. And that I want you guys to take that away today is that if you are stuck, you have an obstacle, go and reach out to the people who are doing what you want to do and let them help you get around that obstacle because there probably is a way. There's probably some kind of way you can maybe do creative financing. You can partner with somebody, but don't let a limited belief stop you from getting started or getting into your next investment. Reach out because there are so many people that um, are doing what you want to do and they're doing it so many different ways. Don't try and recreate the wheel by, you know, starting from scratch, sitting in your small little closet like me, sitting there trying to figure it out on your own. The best thing about real estate investors is that everybody is willing to help you. Nobody holds these closely held secrets like, oh, no, this isn't, you know, I can't tell you that this is how I do it. There's so many of us that share what we're doing for free online. (laughs) And two, if you come across someone who tells you something's not possible, like go and talk to like 10 other people about it Mm -hmm. because... Yeah. Everybody is doing things different and everybody has a, you know, a different strategy and a different opinion. So it's don't stop it at the at your first no. Like just just keep going and keep talking to more people. Love it. Love it. Uh Kira, I want to take us to our rookie request line, but just I one other thought, like just on the on the concept of money as a real estate investor. 
I know for me, I grew up in a house where there was kind of a, a scarcity mindset around money, right? Like I didn't grow up poor or anything, right? But like, you know, we didn't really go on like family vacations, you know, like we, I, you know, oftentimes had like lucky O's instead of lucky charms, you know, it's like, the, you know, we were like a frugal family. So in my mind, it was always like, man, money, like is, is kind of a hard thing to come by. But as you, and you know, this is what you were kind of talking about, Ashley, is like expanding your network and talking to other people and seeing what's really possible. It's like, as you start to insert yourself in the world of real estate investing, you see that money is really an abundant thing. And there are so many people with, uh, with the cash, but they don't have the time. They don't have the desire. They don't have the knowledge. They don't have the courage. And if you can fill one of those voids for that person, now you've immediately created value in their lives and they're willing to help financially in return for that value. So that was a big mindset kind of shift for me as I came into the world of real estate investing is that money is really abundant, right? It's that fear that makes you think that, it, that it's a scarce resource. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. So Kira, let's go into our rookie request line for today. Are you ready for today's question? I hope so. Hi, this is Carson from uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I was wondering how you get over the fear of buying a rental property and not being able to fill it, having to pay this off yourself, no renters. Thank you. Oh, that's a great question. Well, first of all, I think, you know, even though you can use other people's money to purchase real estate doesn't mean that you shouldn't have reserves or a way to cover yourself if something does happen. So, I mean, I like to have six months of reserves. So if something goes vacant for six months, I know I can cover it. So I think that's a big thing. And it doesn't mean you have to have the cash in the bank. Uh, maybe you have a private investor who would be willing to, you know, help you out in the meantime, or you have a, can get a HELOC on your, on your primary residence. I think that there's, you know, a lot of ways to have reserves without actually having the cash in the bank. We're going to take us to our random questions now where me and Tony each uh, pick a question to throw at you. So I want to know what is one of the best habits you have formed? So think oh. even maybe just in the last year, what's a, a habit you have formed? Uh, my morning routine, hands down. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Do you want to um, share it, it with us? What is it? Yeah. So absolutely has changed. I feel like it changed just everything for me. Uh, I wake up between five and six in the morning. I don't set an alarm. My body now, like did in the beginning, my body now just wakes me up naturally at that time. I get up, I either do a meditation. Sometimes I skip it, to be honest. It depends how hungry I am. <laughs> then I make, a, <laughs> I make a smoothie, um, drink my smoothie. Then I do some yoga. And then after yoga, I will do some celery juicing or I don't know. I love carrot, apple, ginger juice. If you watch my stories, I talk about that all the time. And I try and throw a little bit of, of reading in there. Every day is like slightly different, but I do all of those things every single morning. And why do you think that has made an impact? I just think, I just think, you know, waking up and like knowing what you just, you need to do instead of like waking up and being like, okay, well, what, what, what am I going to do? It's kind of like you wake up, you know what you have to do. It starts your day. And I think that it's, you know, especially exercising first thing in the morning and meditating. I feel like it, it clears your mind and allows you to like energize your day and just be ready to like tackle whatever comes your way that day. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing with us. Yeah. By, by the way, have you read the book uh, Miracle Morning here? I, I have. I read that two years ago. It took me, it took me a while to, to get my routine down, but it was a great book. 
Yeah. So Hal Elrod, the uh, the author of that book, would be at this year's BPCon. So you guys just go to BPCon2020.com, I think it is, and you guys can pick up your tickets. Um, it's in October in beautiful New Orleans, and uh, he will be one of the keynote speakers there. So excited to see him on stage. My question for you here, and I can't remember if we actually touched on this specifically, but why are you looking to kind of level up into the world of RV parks? Why not just stay with the what seems like a pretty successful business that you guys already have? Why why level up in RV parks? Um, I think there's a couple reasons. Um, number one, you know, we are planning on living there for the first year. So I think just having a little bit of a lifestyle change at first is going to be awesome. And then in addition to that, I think it'd be cool you know, to diversify our, our portfolio a little bit. And we do the flips and we have the bind holds, but then kind of add in something else. Cause like I said earlier, you know, we kind of explored so many other things like storage units. And at one point we we're looking at commercial properties and just nothing felt right. And RV parks just seem to fit with our, you know, we have a passion for traveling for RVing and it just kind of fits really well with our personalities and with diversifying our portfolio, I think it all just kind of marries together and is kind of, I guess, where we're, where we're headed. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Uh, we're going to go and highlight this week's Rookie Rockstar. So if you guys want to be featured as a Rookie Rockstar, send me or Tony a DM on Instagram or post it in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. Uh, so this week's Rookie Rockstar is Alex W., so this is what he posted. It finally happened. I closed on my first house hack in April. I'm over the moon. That is awesome. He accelerated educating himself on multiple streams of income. And he stumbled across the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. Woo! And your first real estate podcast, which, Tony, that was your podcast, right? That was my old one. Yeah. yeah. There you go, Alex. <laughs> and then uh, just bigger pockets in general. He used to educate himself and he listened to over 350 plus hours of Bigger Pockets podcast. And he's finally able to reach his fine number quickly than he ever in anticipated. Uh, so the asking price was 195000 He purchased it for 177000 and he uh, rents unit one for 1200 and unit zero as of right now, because he is going to make it a short-term rental. So that is awesome. Uh, congratulations to you, Alex. Well, Kira, thank you so much for joining us on today's show. Can you let everyone know where they can find out some more information about you? Yeah, I am super active on Instagram. So they can find me at realestate.kir. And from there, you can go to my, my link in bio and go to a whole bunch of other stuff like a blog and all that fun stuff. And then I also run the like-minded investors community. So I have a monthly meetup and we're actually starting a podcast that launches next week. So you can find me on at like-minded investors as well. That's awesome. So exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I can't wait for me and Tony to be on it. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, you guys are going to have to be one of our guests. <laughs> yes, we would love to. Would love to. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening today. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. And we will be back with another episode. We hope you guys really enjoy this RV series. We're going to have Heather on, um, an expert investor on campgrounds and RV parks for our next episode. We'll see you guys then.
Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.